Welcome in everyone to the Football Addicts Anonymous podcast. It's been a while, <laughs> but uh, finally back. So should be rolling along uh, nicely the rest of the summer, I think, with Monday shows at the very least. We might be able to get Friday shows back, uh, but it might not be for a couple weeks. So, but... We are back, <laughs> so we got a little bit to cover. Luckily, there wasn't too many big things that happened over the last week and a half or however long it's been. But yeah, it's good to be back. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, today, since we missed a week of USFL action, we're going to recap weeks four and five. And uh, then we're going to get into some NFL news. We got the uh, NFL schedule released on Thursday, that was. And we have some transactions, some general stuff, a couple trades, uh, post-draft trades. And uh, then we will finish up continuing our eighth round with uh, the NFC North today. But yeah, the uh, the veteran free agent market has been heating up a little bit. Some some guys signed out there to uh, a couple of them. I was surprised some of the deals. But anyways, week four USFL. This game was, I mean, I picked the Panthers. They should have won. It 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 was a Jeff Fisher coaching decision that lost the game i mean uh, how much more jeff fisher can you get losing the game on the one yard line by missing a 21 yard field goal uh and not opting to run another play from the one and kick the 21 yard field goal instead uh so that's how this game ended that's why the panthers lost by one point um but yeah, this was the first full game, I believe, uh, without Brian Scott for the Philly Stars. Um, Case Cookus, nice game. He only turned it over once. Good percentage, uh, completion-wise, 190 yards. You know, it's not great, but uh, got the job done. And again, the Panthers should have won, despite Shea Patterson turning it over three times. Uh, the the Panthers still have one of the best defenses in the league. Even with a one and three record, their defense plays well every week. They just cannot get help from their offense. Uh, but yeah, Reggie Corbin, monster game for him. Most of those yards came on an eighty-eight yard rushing touchdown, um, but he ended up one hundred fifty-two yards on twelve carries. And that score, uh, Paul Terry put the ball on the ground, but he was the leading rusher for the Stars. Um, not overly fantastic days from the wide receivers on either team um and defensively my defensive player of the game is Channing Stribling uh for the stars he only had one tackle and it was a solo but he stuffed the stat sheet one tap one sack a tackle for loss two picks and three pass deflections and like I said down there Michael Carrizosa uh he was cut after this game. Uh, <laughs> one for two field goals. 
22 long. Missed the only extra point, which would have made this game a tie game, and we would have had our first USFL overtime of the season. But, yeah, and then, like I said, missed the 21-yard game-winning field goal. Pretty bad. Tough. Tough looks. I feel like I, I brought this up before, but I think it's interesting that, like, the Panthers seem to have, like, some of the biggest names in the USFL, like Jeff Fisher, uh, Shea Patterson, Paxton Lynch. I mean, Paxton Lynch was a former first-round pick. Yeah, the only and, one in the USFL. Yeah. And they just can't, like, seem to put it together. Yeah, and it's – like I said, if they could get some help on offense, I mean, their defense has been outstanding. Uh, but it's just, you know, they need an offense. And when you pick Shea Patterson number one overall in the draft – they kind of are stuck with him, <laughs> you know. <laughs> you can't really justify cutting him. So, yeah, the uh, the stars did cover though, plus one over thirty six and a half hit on that one. For some reason, on the Fox Sports app, there weren't any odds in terms of <clears throat> uh, lines for this game. They did have over unders, but I don't know why they just they just didn't have any line point spread for these games. So I had to find it elsewhere on the internet. So whether these numbers are accurate or not, I don't know. Because I was I had found this article the week of week four, two weeks ago, uh, but I don't know. Because then they went back and they had spreads this weekend. I mean, I think we're doing a good job of providing as much USFL info <laughs> as we possibly can. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Saturday, the May seventh, we had the Generals getting to three and one, twenty-one to thirteen win against the Pittsburgh Maulers, who continued to be winless. Uh, Kirby Wilson still not working out so far with his running run first attack. Um, once again. Quarterback play was middling. DeAndre Johnson, I mean, is great. 90% on 10 throws, 98 yards, touchdown. Uh, rushing attack wasn't there for DeAndre in this game. Only 14 yards on 11 carries. But uh, they got it done. It uh, was not a great game overall. I mean, uh, Trey Walker had – Trey Walker and Alonzo Moore had the games. Uh Walker for the Maulers, nine receptions, 110 yards on 17 targets. Uh, so over half of Lalletta's pass attempts went to Trey Walker. And uh, Alonzo Moore for the Generals, three catches, 104 yards, and a touchdown caught all three of his targets. Gavante Turpin had a nice game. He's kind of been coming on for the Generals the last couple of weeks. Um, and getting back to what he did at TCU, which was running and catching the ball. Um, but he had six catches, 28 yards, seven targets there, uh, four carries, 37 yards, and a rushing touchdown. I don't know who you want to pick defensively. Um, I guess I'll go with the guy on the winning team. Toby Johnson, defensive tackle for the Generals. Six tackles, two of them solos, a sack, and two tackles for loss. 
Would it be fair to say that the Maulers are the worst team in the USFL? Mm-hmm. At least in, in this, from the sample size that we currently have. Yeah, I mean, I think they're a lot like the Panthers, though. I think the Maulers have a pretty good defense. It's just their offense has not helped them out at all. And it's what we saw with the Panthers, the same thing. They just don't have a capable enough quarterback to win them games. Um, especially with what we talked about with what the Maulers want to do under Kirby Wilson, which is run the ball. And you look, their leading rusher is Madre London. Now he has a good average, but he only carried it five times for 43 yards. Their number one guy is Garrett Groshek, but he only averaged 2.6 yards per carry. Uh, so, you know, without the passing attack, and you have Laletta throwing under 50%, which is absolutely terrible, uh, you know, it's hard to get there. So, Maulers did cover, though, plus nine. They got it by one. Uh, under 35 and a half hit. By one and a half. The other game last Saturday, the Stallions continue to be the opposite of the Pittsburgh Maulers and stay undefeated. 16 to 10 win over the Bandits. Low scoring game. I was kind of surprised. These two offenses were, I think they were both in the 20s in terms of points per game. But uh, Alex Magoo came back, and I think this was his first game back. After being injured week one, uh, was not the greatest. Neither quarterback was, but uh, neither quarterback turned it over. It was, it was a clean game for the most part. Uh, Marable, 55 yards on 17 carries. Uh, neither running game was good. You had Victor Bolden for the Stallions with 10 targets, but he only caught half of those for 61 yards. Rashard Davis scored a touchdown. Uh, Cheyenne O'Grady was the leading receiver for Tampa. Two catches, 35 yards. That's it. <laughs> On three targets. And a lot of defense, a lot of defensive stats because that's what the game was. Uh, so I like Travis Feeney, even though he was on the losing side. But he's been a, he's been a great player for the Bandits so far. Nine tackles, four of them solos, a sack, two tackles for loss, and a pass deflection. And then the man of the game, the guy that won it and has been – he's he's been the best kicker in the USFL so far. Brandon Albury for the Stallions, 3 of 4, 75%, 49 long, and he hit his only extra point. Um, and the crazy thing is he was never a kicker until this year. He played soccer. He was in the MLS. <laughs> you know, <laughs> played soccer at Notre Dame. First time he played football was with the Stallions in the USFL. So, wow! <laughs> and he's I always like those stories. Those guys who can transition from like other sports to football. Yeah, and he's been a monster, man. Yeah, but yeah, the Stallions uh, continue to roll on. They were the team that I did not see coming. Uh, I just didn't know how their quarterback situation where it's going to play out. Um, I didn't know anything about uh, Jamar Smith, their other quarterback. I did know about Alex Magoo because he was drafted by the Seahawks. But, um, yeah, those two guys have been getting it done. And they're – I mean, their defense is good too. 
So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, it looks like that. I mean, a lot of this success is coming from pretty complimentary football, it would seem. Yeah. Yeah, and I think uh, I'm trying to think. I can't remember who their head coach is for Birmingham, but I can uh, check real quick. The yeah, it's been annoying. I couldn't print the script out or anything. They apparently didn't have a printer that I could use here at the good old Country Inn and Suites in Dunn, North Carolina. Um, Skip Holtz. Skip Holtz. Been getting it done. So. The uh, Stallions covered minus three and a half. Under 41 and a half. Easily. All right, last Sunday. We had the Breakers getting the three and one. 23 to 16. And again, the Houston Gamblers, we'll talk more about this when we see their Week 5 score, they they are choke artists. I mean, they cannot hold a lead going in or in the fourth quarter. I mean, they just can't. They've had leads in all of their games, all three of their losses. They've had leads in the fourth quarter, and they, they lose. because And this... I watched the end of this game. This was a miraculous drive. I will have to give it to Kyle Sloter. I mean, he was a monster in this game. Threw three picks. Had a fumble. But that one touchdown was the one that won the game as time expired. I think there was like four seconds left or whatever. Uh, He hit Jonathan Adams down the sideline. Uh and Adams went up and got it. Yeah. Yep, I had the chance to I, I kinda saw that play on my feed and when you're looking for kind of success in, in a developmental league like this, you want those kind of signature moments to have, you know, those those cool moments that people talk about. So it was it was pretty cool to see it kind of talked about on the feed on my on my Twitter feed. So yeah, it was a pretty cool play. Yeah, and they're like, you know, why why go for the field goal, which is not a sure thing, especially in the USFL, right. when you can win it yourself. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but, yeah, Sloater was great in this game. Jordan Ellis had a 100-yard rushing game, 19 carries, 104 yards, touchdown, four catches, 17 target, 17 yards. He got targeted seven times out of the backfield, which is crazy. I mean, Sloater threw it 43 times. But uh, – Leading rusher was interesting for the Gamblers. Uh, there was a guy that also got Mark Thompson for them, their leading rusher. He got more carries than Devois Whaley did, but uh, Whaley led the, the team in rushing. Uh, three carries for 11 yards. Also had a 15-yard catch. Former uh, Titan, Taewon Taylor. Great game for him. Him and Jonathan Adams both have 100-yard days. Four catches, 112 yards on five targets. Adams, six catches, 101 yards, and a touchdown. The game winner on nine targets. Uh, Their tight end for New Orleans also had nine targets. Five for 82, Sal Canella. Uh, JoJo Ward scored for the Gamblers. 
And defensively, I got to go on the losing end because that's where most of the stats were. Um, I am going corner will likely for the gamblers. Seven tackles, six solos, attack for loss, a pick, and three pass deflections. Um, well, again, we'll see him. I think I have him listed in the week five scores as well. Um, including his week five stat line, he has four picks in five weeks. So, <laughs> Will likely has been putting up stats on defense. But yeah, three, uh, three uh, pass breakups too. Yeah. Yeah, he was he was good in this game. Uh, even though he was the one that Adams beat, I believe, for the game winner. Uh, the breakers covered because of the touchdown instead of the field goal, minus five, um, and under forty-one and a half. So once again, it, it was three three for four on the unders in week four. So I think you're still safe betting unders in the USFL. <laughs> Even though we've had some games where there's offense, I just they continue. I, we'll see it change. We'll see it change in in week five, but mm-hmm. through four weeks, it was pretty good for the under betters. But starting off week five on Friday, uh, we had one game: the Bandits getting it done beating the Panthers 27 to 20 and this one Shea Patterson played well mm-hmm. 62% 3-0-4 one touchdown only threw one interception uh to Amu was nice no turnovers 207 two touchdowns on again around 62% um once again Tampa has issues running the ball um but that's been the case the entire season uh but Jawan Washington did score twice. Reggie Corbin, massive decline <laughs> from the 100-whatever-it-was uh, yards in Week 4 to 28. The Tampa defense was outstanding. Um, but, yeah, I think this one, the if I am right, the Panthers almost came back. Yeah, yeah they uh, they came back from down twenty to thirteen. Yeah, so so they were down seven. That was their biggest deficit. Was twenty to thirteen. Um, but again, made it a one score game, and then they got to the. Uh, Michigan 41-yard line, and then Cameron Scarlett fumbled. Fumbled the game away for Michigan. But um, receiving-wise, Lance Lenore, John Franklin, both good gains for Michigan and Tampa. Petway had 80 yards. Uh, Michigan also did a lot of trick plays in this game. It was very weird. They just, they, they did, I think three. Yeah, 
They had three other players throw a pass in this game. Uh, one was LaMichael Petway. His was incomplete. Uh, they had their kicker throw a pass. He completed his one for nine yards. And then Joe Walker didn't catch a ball, uh, was targeted twice, but he did throw a 30-yard touchdown uh, to Ryan O'Malley. So one of them worked anyways. Like I said, Cole Murphy did complete his ball, which was ended up being a first down, um, but not a touchdown. So two of them worked, but it didn't get the job done. Uh, Jeff Fisher falls to one and four. And... Uh, Defensively, I don't know. There were a lot of good performances. Christian Sam for the um, Bandits. But I'm going Greg Reeves for Tampa as well. Seven tackles, five of them solo. Two sacks, two tackles for loss, a pass deflection, and a forced fumble. Yeah. Anytime you can put up multiple sacks, you're going to be in a good position to be defensive player of the week. And he was the guy that forced the fumble of Cam Scarlett that Tampa recovered to win the game. The Bandits covered minus two and a half and over 33 and a half hit. All four games in week five went over. (laughs) That's why I say it's going to change. I mean, they were low. None of them hit. None of them even got to 37 in terms of the actual over-under line. Yeah, it's going to be like a pendulum. They set them low. (laughs) They finally (laughs) realized and started setting them real low. Uh, (laughs) But the Generals continue their great season. Four and one now. 27 to 17. This was supposed to be the game. Three and one versus three and one. I was on the losing end. I had the breakers. But, uh, yeah, DeAndre Johnson came back and had a nice game. Again, not fantastic on the ground, but he did score twice. Uh, Efficient through the air. Uh, Only one turnover there. Sloter had two picks. uh, Under 50% completion. And it just was a tough day. The Generals' defense was playing very well. And uh, Darius Victor had a nice day on the ground for New Jersey. They continued to, I mean, they're the team that is actually able to run the ball. They are what they are what the Maulers want to be, <laughs> but they just can't. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, Jersey is is on a roll right now. Cavante Turpin he had a solid game, five for one hundred six, six targets there. Um, Adams scored again. In this game, Johnny Dixon scored. He had 13 targets. That's crazy. Um, and then defensively, I'm going with uh, safety Shalom Luwani, who has also been one of the bright stars um, in the first half of the regular season here for the USFL. Six tackles, four solos, two picks, and two pass deflections. The Generals cover plus three over 36 and a half. Yesterday, 
the final two games. The Stallions, they're halfway through the season. They are 5-0, 30-17 over the Stars. I had the Stallions in this game as well. Um, Jamar Smith came back. Alex Magoo, I don't know if he got hurt again. I didn't get to watch this game, but uh, if he didn't get hurt, it, he was just pulled for Jamar Smith because of poor play, as you can see. Under 40%. Completion, only 50 yards, a touchdown, and a pick. Um, Jamar Smith, uh, he didn't turn it over. Two touchdowns, uh, one through the one through the air, one on the ground, and I mean that's a pristine completion percentage there. Cookus didn't do enough. 215, turned the ball over once. Uh, Marable was great for the Stallions. 23 carries, 114 yards, touchdown. Did turn it over once, uh, but chipped in two receptions for 16, 17 yards as well. Um, Paul Terry was leading rusher for Philly. Uh, only had two carries, but ran a, I think he had a 40-something yard touchdown. Um, five catches, 43 yards off six targets there. Matt Coburn, he scored as well, but terrible average. Put the ball on the ground. Um, former UCF Golden Knight there, Marlon Williams. Five for 74 and a touchdown on eight targets for Birmingham. And uh, defensively, there's a lot of stats, but I, Josh Banderas on losing end for the Stars, 12 tackles. Seven of them solo, two sacks, three tackles for loss, and a fumble recovery. Yeah, I'm going to be interested to see. I mean, across the board, I'm going to be interested to see how much talent um, the NFL can pull from the USFL. But I'm really interested defensively if they can pull a lot of talent um, from the defensive pool because, I mean, as a Packer fan, I know the the – potential benefit of bringing in some guys which have high upside um, and what they could do for your team. So it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, I think it's – there's a big question. I don't know if NFL evaluators are actually asking this, but I think the biggest thing is, is it real good defense mm. or is it just easy defense because the offenses yeah. are bad? <laughs> uh, the Stallions covered minus six over 35 and a half easily. 47 this game. And the last game, the Maulers got their first win of the season 21 to 20 against the Gamblers. And like I said in week four, it's the same story for Houston in Week 5. They just blew it in the fourth quarter. I mean, I watched the end of this game, and it was absolutely pitiful that they could not stop. The new quarterback for the Maulers, who uh, cut Josh Love, they waved Josh Love. They picked up Vadley, um, who played at uh, James Madison. So, <laughs> he had a nice game. Wasn't the greatest, but he scored the game-winning touchdown. He, he threw the game-winner to Bailey Gaither. 
uh, as time expired, and I mean, it was like Houston had a seventeen to nine lead, right? With when did they start this drive? I think with with seven ten left in the fourth quarter, seven minutes ten seconds left in the fourth quarter, they were up by sixteen points, two possessions. They then on their next drive after a Pittsburgh punt, Clayton Thorson gets stripped. Carlo Kemp recovers. Uh, the Maulers are set up on the Houston twenty six. They go down two plays, 42 seconds, score a touchdown. Get it to within two. They miss the two-point conversion. Houston goes down seven plays, 49 yards, kicks a field goal to get it to five. And then, I mean, Vadley put on a drive at the end. Uh, They got the ball with 334 at their – own 29 yard line 15 plays 71 yards 334 scored through the game winning uh, touchdown was a 9 yarder to Bailey Gaither who had some great catches on the final drive but uh, yeah Kyle Lalletta went in for the first drive they kicked a field goal or they missed a field goal and uh, never saw him the rest of the way but again, it was middling performance for Clayton Thorson. Um, he got his hand hurt in this game. He hit it off one of his offensive linemen's helmet. And I know they were talking about it during the game, but I was shocked that they just didn't put in another quarterback. I mean, after his hand got hurt, he you could see he couldn't throw the ball right. It wouldn't come out of his hand the way he was throwing it. So... I don't know what their options are. I mean, I don't know what else they have at quarterback. Um, But, yeah, Mark Thompson rebounded. He had a nice game on the ground, even in a losing effort. Garrett Groshek continues to be just... Gross, dirt. I mean, he's, I, why? Why? I don't even. Why do they even keep handing the ball? He, he's terrible. Absolutely terrible. Yeah, <laughs> my boy is underwhelming <laughs> currently. Every week, uh, but yeah, Bailey Gaither was the star of this game. Eight catches, hundred eight yards, two touchdowns on ten targets. Trey Walker had a nice game too. Ten catches. 92 yards, 13 targets for him. Zuber scored for Houston. Uh, And then, like I said, there's my guy, Will Likely, again, for the Gamblers. Eight tackles, seven of them solo. He had a half a sack, a pick, and uh, two pass deflections. Uh, So I'm looking at their Houston's roster here. So most teams are carrying just two quarterbacks. So their other quarterback on the roster, at least on the – Fox Sports website right now is Kenji Bahar. So, you know, I mean, he's been in the league. 
was with the Ravens a couple times in camp. Played collegiately at Monmouth. But I, I feel like they had to. They they should have put Bahar in. I mean, we'll see. We'll see yeah. what Houston does. But I don't know. Well, it's interesting too because I feel like a lot of these teams are using both their quarterbacks mm-hmm. um, in some capacity. So yeah, I don't know why you wouldn't at least try to do something there. Yeah. So, we're at the halfway point of the USFL season. Uh, before we talk about that, Maulers plus 5.5 here, over 33.5 easily. Um, do you have a pick? So, the current, just for reference, the current uh, USFL playoffs... As they sit right now, it would be in the North Division. The it would be the Generals against the Stars, and in the South, it would be the Stallions against the Breakers in the playoffs. Do you have a pick at the halfway point of the regular season? You know, it's it's hard to bet against Birmingham, but. I also just, I don't know if I see them, you know, just being that dominant. I kind of like the generals. I kind of want to go with the generals. I think they play pretty good complimentary football. I think the defense is decent. And, um, yeah, that's, they have DeAndre Jordan, right? He's, that's their QB. Johnson. Or, yeah, DeAndre Johnson. I like his rushing ability. I think that'll that makes them a lot more dynamic than a lot of the other teams um, in the USFL. And I think that will, I think that'll carry them well into, into the postseason. Yeah. I, I think I agree. I mean, I think the generals by far had the easiest path to the USFL championship. I think it's a crapshoot on who gets in at that second spot in the North between the stars, <laughs> the Panthers and the Maulers. I mean, it could realistically be any of those teams. And I think with the Stars not having Brian Scott anymore, I, I mean, that was a massive loss for them. Um, Case Cookus just hasn't been it. So I think actually, I think the Panthers get in somehow. And they're only a game back of the Stars. Um, no one's going to touch the Generals in the North. Um, and I think the Generals just roll whoever they get matched up with in that North uh, Division Championship. But uh, as far as the South, the South, it's going to suck for the South. There are three good teams at the top, and and one of them's not going to make it. The Stallions, Breakers, and the Breakers and Bandits are both at three and two right now. Uh, I don't know what the tiebreaker is, but the Breakers, I think it's head-to-head maybe right now. I think the Breakers beat the Bandits um, earlier on. So that is why they're in second. But I'm holding out hope for my Bandits. I don't know if they can win. Um, the whole thing, but I think if they get in, I think they'll have a chance against the Stallions, <clears throat> but I don't know. I think it might end up just being the top two in the championship jersey against Birmingham, but I would agree. I think I think the Generals, though, are, are probably 
my pick as well. Um, their rushing attack is just phenomenal. Even with DeAndre Johnson not having the greatest rushing days the last two weeks, I would think that they are still by far, yeah, I mean, they're averaging 180.2 rushing yards per game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, with and that is, uh, let me see what that, yeah, they're 11 yards more than the next closest one, which is Pittsburgh, 169.2. And those two teams are way out in front of the Stallions in third. Uh, But, yeah, I mean, they have 901 rushing yards through five games. (laughs) So they've been toting the rock. uh, And they got a – that's the crazy thing, I think, with them, just to go back uh, and you look at – you know, Darius Victor had almost 100 yards, but he's been really their bell cow work. They're, they're back. Uh, and he actually leads the league in rushing touchdowns with five. Let's see where he... And he's fourth overall in rushing yards, 308 yards through five games. But, yeah, it's... Uh, it would be crazy if if Houston wouldn't be choke artists because that would make that South division even more interesting. Mm-hmm. But at one and four, I mean, there's I highly doubt they can make a run with only five games left. Mm-hmm. All right, into NFL news. Um, so we had the 2022 schedule released on Thursday. I didn't have too much to say about that. Um, and I realized I didn't write in what the Thursday night opener was. Uh, but I believe it's the Rams and the Bills on, uh, that Thursday night, September 8th. The uh, Hall of Fame game will be August 4th, Jags-Raiders. So that's a it's a great marketing <laughs> game right there. <laughs> it's the Doug Peterson revenge. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, Jags-Raiders is your Hall of Fame game this year. Like I said, Rams-Bills is your Thursday night opener. And... Uh, February 12th, 2023, we will have Super Bowl 57 in Glendale, Arizona at the Cardinals Stadium. Interesting nugget from Field Yates. The Jags continued a streak with the NFL schedule release. They will not be on Monday Night Football for the 11th straight season. (laughs) So no Monday Night games for Jacksonville once again. Um, in terms of my teams, anyways, I was very happy with my Eagles schedule. Uh, they have a nice, easy schedule. I didn't, I didn't see anywhere, uh, where people put out any of the schedule rankings, strength of schedule. I don't know if you did, but yeah, there were, there were some, I don't really remember other than the Packers I knew have, have a, at least based on last year, 
win totals, they have a pretty easy schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know much about who else or who has like the toughest. I know the was it the Seahawks? They have to travel the most, like thirty thousand miles, or something like that. <laughs> Absolutely crazy. But uh, yeah, I was happy with the Eagles' schedule. The Steelers' schedule is decently nice. Uh, they have some hard stretches. And then I was absolutely outraged by the Panthers' schedule. I mean, this team finished last in their division, right? Mm-hmm. And they are just getting railed with the schedule. I mean, they got to face Deshaun Watson week one. Grant, we'll talk about that. If, if, he, if, he, if he makes it, if he makes it to week one. But, I mean, you know, even – even the Giants in week two, if uh, Dayball's got Daniel Jones on the right track, that could be a hard one. Uh, I mean, if Jameis is healthy week three, we got the Saints. But then it's like, bro, we got, the, we got three in a row, NFC West. We got to face Kyler Murray. I don't know what the Niners are going to look like with Trey Lance, but their defense is good anyways. Mm-hmm. And then we got to go to L.A. to play the Rams. And then we got to face Tom Brady. They all the the Panthers also play the Bengals, the Ravens. We got to play Russell Wilson and the Broncos because they finished fourth in their division. <laughs> Come on, dude. They uh, got to play the Steelers and T.J. Watt, and obviously the Bucks and Saints again. I, they, I mean, the Panthers have one of the hardest schedules for a fourth place team. Yep. Listen, man, just I got four words. Tank for Bryce Young. Just lean into it. I would say that, but my issue is, is I like Matt Rule. And he's not going to be there if they're picking yeah. in the top five next year. Yeah. So. He's probably got the hottest seat of anybody in the in the league right now. Yeah. But it's, I mean, it's not even like it's his fault, though. Like, I don't know if he act, if he was the one that wanted to get San Darnold. I don't know. I hope that San Darnold struggles and Matt Corral comes in and just lights it up. <laughs> That's the hope. <laughs> I mean, honestly, like, I, I heard, and I don't know who remembers it or who said this. I, I don't remember... But there was a theory that somebody put out that you just should not have bridge quarterbacks. Like, no bridge quarterbacks. You either have a veteran guy who you believe you can win games with, or you just throw somebody in who has upside who you want to see work. Mm -hmm. Like, the Panthers are probably going to start the season with Sam Darnold. And he's probably going to play around half or more of of the games. But, I mean, I feel like in the long run for your franchise, I feel like it's just better to have a 17-game sample size of Matt Corral. Well, especially like, if you're going to be up there high in the draft again right? and have that opportunity 
you got to know what you got. <laughs> right. In your third exactly. round pick. <laughs> right. And it's like, we, we know who Sam Darnold is. Like, he had every opportunity last year when he left the Jets to come in and be successful with the weapons they have in in Carolina and just really wasn't able to do it. So we know what we got from Sam Darnold, but we don't know what we have in Matt Corral. And I think I think though Sam Darnold can can do it. I mean, we saw what it looked like with Christian McCaffrey, uh, with CMC on the field. Sam Darnold is completely different. Um, I mean, I think that goes for any quarterback that plays with Christian McCaffrey. You're gonna be you're gonna be better. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, if I mean, obviously, if, if McCaffrey can stay on the field, that's. That's issue number one for the Panthers is keep 22 on the field. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I was, I'm was i scared for the Panthers this season. They are going to have a tough year. So I got the strength of schedule pulled up. Um, big shocker, three of the top five teams are NFC West teams, Rams, Cardinals, and 49ers. Um, Because they all have to play each other. Mm -hmm. And then the three teams with the easiest schedule are all NFC East teams. The Eagles, Cowboys, and Commanders. (laughs) Yeah, well, the NFC East playing against each other. And I think playing against the NFC North outside of the Packers is... Yeah. It's pretty, (laughs) it's pretty, pretty easy games. Uh, even actually, even the, the Vikings, I mean, you know. Yeah. Actually, the NFC East occupies all four of the easiest spots. The Giants are at 29. <laughs> and the Cowboys and Commanders are tied for 31st. Eagles at 30th. <laughs> so. Okay, uh, so that was the schedule. We'll talk scheduling more when we get into our July shows and start looking at season previews for each team. Um, but uh, going back to more NFL news, former Seahawks and 49ers quarterback corner uh, Richard Sherman, he has signed a deal with Amazon. Uh, for a key role in programming this season. So I think uh, Richard Sherman will be calling games on Amazon Prime Video for Thursday nights this year. It's pretty interesting. It, it feels weird because it feels like it wasn't that long ago that he was you know, playing. You know, <laughs> Now he's just completely into kind of the, the media sphere. Oh, I forgot to say, former Bucks corner as well (laughs) (laughs) but uh unsigned currently he's still hoping to get signed but uh if he does not he will be on amazon prime video for thursday night games which still wait holding out for my getting my uh subscription i'll hold out until august and then i'll buy that but get that first month of the season free and then <laughs> pay pay whatever it is for the rest of the season. Uh, also in broadcasting news, Bucks quarterback Tom Brady. 
signed a deal with Fox Sports. He will be joining them as their lead NFL analyst whenever he retires. Whenever that is. I know Ian Rappaport quote tweeted and put 2045. <laughs> uh, 10 years. 375 million is his deal with Fox Sports. That is more money than the man has made over his 21 NFL seasons. 22, whatever it is. I don't know what it is anymore. 21, 22, whatever it is. He's made, I think it's $333 million over his 20-plus NFL seasons. I mean, that that's just ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. And what's crazy is, I mean, this this deal still hasn't been able to just bring him out of retirement. Like you said, he's making more money than he is playing. Mm-hmm. And he's still like, nah, I still got to play. I, I heard on a podcast the other day, and they said he's like, it. he just literally must be addicted to the game of football. Because, like, this, becoming a... a elite analysts is not easy and it's it requires a lot of prep work and you got to travel a bunch mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> so and there's going to be no like buffer time he's going to go whenever he retires whether that's next season or the year after that it's going to kick right into that so i don't know man he's just a he's a different animal dude i just don't know how he's going to be I mean, like, obviously Tom Brady has a personality, but yeah, I don't know. It just I mean, I'll be really. I feel like he'll really he will bring a lot of like insight into like, especially offensively in terms of like how to read a defense and like how the plays are being designed, stuff like that. I feel like. I feel, yeah, I, I feel pretty good about his ability to bring that side. And then, you know, I feel like his personality will come along as it goes. Yeah, because I feel like he's just, like, pretty quiet when he's not playing. Mm-hmm. I don't know, though. But, yeah, that was uh, that was pretty crazy, that deal. Uh, we had two trades go down in the last couple weeks, uh, both involving the Las Vegas Raiders. So the first one here, they got a new quarterback. Uh, subsequent transaction was a release of quarterback Nathan Peterman, uh, John Gruden's guy. <laughs> Nathan Peterman <laughs> stuck with the Raiders for quite a while. Uh, but, yeah, the Raiders reuniting Josh McDaniels with his former quarterback, Jarrett Stidham, uh, they got a 2023-7 with Stidham. Uh, Patriots got back a 23-6. So, nice deal all around. Uh, Raiders get their third-string quarterback. I can't recall who they had, who they signed as their... I feel like it's the same thing. I, always, I know him every time, but I always forget who they signed. Nick Mullins. So, the Raiders better pray. 
that Derek Carr does not get hurt. <laughs> Nick Mullins, Jarrett Stidham, and good old Cal, Cal Golden Bear, Chase Garbers. <laughs> wow. Are your, are your three quarterbacks behind Derek Carr. At that point, you might as well put just throw Devontae Adams or Darren Waller behind center. <laughs> yeah. Let's <laughs> run the triple option. Yeah. Uh, but McDaniels likes likes Stidham, apparently. Yeah, that's interesting. This, this is actually a pretty decent move for the Pats. I mean, what? Was Stidham like a – he couldn't have been more than like a fourth rounder when he came out, right? And – they drafted Zappy, so I mean they didn't really have any leverage, but still come out with a sixth round pick. I mean, it's, I feel like has decent value. Yeah, I think he was a fourth or fifth. Fourth, yeah, fourth mm. in twenty nineteen. And yeah, the Patriots. They are looking at Mac Jones, Brian Hoyer, and Bailey Zappi. That's it. They don't have any other ones. <clears throat> but yeah, I mean, this is this is what what Belichick likes to do: draft the quarterback, trade him. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the Eagles' philosophy too. That's what Howie uh-huh. Roseman. Howie Roseman does the same thing, or wants to, anyways. But uh, yeah, that is the first trade. Uh, and the second one, the Raiders traded a player away. The Falcons bolstering their wide receiver room. Brian Edwards going to Atlanta from Vegas along with the 23-7. In my, in my draft Excel sheet, I just floated that New England pick right to Atlanta. I don't know if it's the Patriots pick or the Raiders pick. Uh, in the seventh round. We won't know until probably <laughs> the week of the draft <laughs> next year. But, uh, yeah, I just kind of moved that right along to Atlanta. Uh, and I thought this was a nice get for the Raiders, 23-5th. Um, for a guy that the Raiders drafted. Okay, so... Yeah, I mean, they drafted him in the third round, but I thought with what he has produced over his career, to get a fifth out of this was, was pretty good, I thought. Yeah, what, what I find interesting is what the Falcons are doing at wide receiver. Um, if you, like, look at kind of their their top – pass catchers they're building like a basketball team <laughs> you got kyle pitts you got drake london auden tate now brian edwards those are some big dudes um and i mean essentially it's marcus throw the ball up and see what happens yeah drake london auden tate six five brian edwards six three um Even uh, Kadero Hodge, you got at 6'2". Mm-hmm. And then you got 
Olamide is a key set five eight. <laughs> yeah, right. He's the one. He's the one outlier. I mean, and they just signed. We'll talk about Geronimo Allison today, six mm-hmm. three. So, um, yeah, I mean, Demir Bird is there too, five nine. But uh, mm. yeah, it's weird. I, I mean, I feel like I feel like Atlanta is kind of like Houston last year, where it's like, bro, what? What is the direction? Like, what are they? What are they actually like trying to go towards? <laughs> and mm. I guess, I guess you found it out, anyways. It's. I, I mean, you could do worse. I feel like, especially with where this roster was at and that wide receiver room. I mean, prior to the draft, it was clearly bottom five. Possibly oh, it was the worst. worst. It was the worst. Yeah, possibly the worst <laughs> in the NFL. And now they kind of at least have a identity there. I don't know. <laughs> it, it, I I just think it'll be a really cool case study to see. You know, how does that? Will their will their red zone efficiency be better than the league average because of the size, or are they going to struggle because they don't have a top end like? talent necessarily so I don't know I don't think their red zone efficiency will matter because I don't think they'll get close enough (laughs) (laughs) in a majority of the games (laughs) right but it's also weird too because I don't necessarily think the size thing is going to matter either because Marcus Mariota is not that erratic you know throwing guy uh of the likes of like you know cam newton uh where that's why you know when the panthers drafted cam newton and then they saw a couple years that's why they drafted kelvin benjamin and uh some of the other bigger guys that they got because they needed big guys with large catch radiuses to haul in the erratic throws but i don't necessarily think marcus Mariota is that kind of guy especially with what we saw in Vegas, I thought he developed in Vegas the couple years he was there more than he did in Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Uh, before we get into some player stuff, I saw a little thing from Adam Schefter's podcast. Monday Night Football, starting in next season, 2023. They're finally going to a flex scheduling for Monday Night Football. Weeks 14 to 18 next season will be uh, flex scheduling just like Sunday night is. And uh, also there will be three Monday Night Doubleheaders next week, next year. So. Yeah. Well, you knew knew Troy and... uh... Buck weren't going to be leaving to just call a bunch of bad games. <laughs> I don't necessarily. Yeah, I don't necessarily. I don't like Monday Night Doubleheaders necessarily. I don't know. I mean, yeah, it's two primetime games, but especially when you look at this is kind of going back to the schedule thing. But like this year, like there's a Monday Night Doubleheader week two. But they play an hour and fifteen minutes apart. Like I don't, I don't like that. I like when they do it week one, which they're not doing this year. 
they're only having one game week one, which is weird because they usually have a doubleheader week one. Right. Um, but they instead do the doubleheader week two, which is just weird. And I'm going to have to, unfortunately, watch a – actually, well, well – We'll have two TVs hooked up in my apartment this year, so uh, that actually won't be an issue. But uh, normally, I would have to pick one to put on my TV and then stream the other one on my computer. And being an Eagles fan, I'll be able to watch the first hour and 15 of the Titans-Bills game, but then I'm switching to the Eagles game because I want to watch the Eagles play at 8.30. And then I have to stream Titans-Bills, which – I'm an old fart, and I don't like streaming, so. <laughs> yep. You've made your streaming opinions known. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, you know, for people that don't have ESPN+, Plus, you got to pick which one you want. Mm-hmm. And it, it was always nice with the week one doubleheader because they would always have one at, like, 6 o'clock and then one at, like, 10 o'clock. So it yep. would end early enough for the other game. But the NFL schedule is weird this year, for some reason. I don't know. Uh, okay, the like getting stuff as I go here. Uh, the Ravens, interesting move. Uh, it corresponded to the Mike Davis signing, but they withdrew. I wrote RFA tender. I don't. I don't know if it was. It might have been an exclusive rights. Instead of just a res- in- instead of a restricted free agent, I don't think Tyson Williams has been in the league in- long enough to be a restricted free agent. So, more than likely, it was an ERFA instead of an RFA tender. Uh, but yeah, they withdrew his tender, so he is now a free agent. Um, came onto the scene nicely last year with all the running back injuries, but struggled. Uh, and then they signed Devontae Freeman. Didn't get any playing time really down the rest of the season. So, yeah, yeah, and I mean, you you mentioned they signed Mike Davis, but I think the one thing, if you have a criticism of the the Ravens off season, I mean, they had a really great draft and all that, but I just feel like they should have addressed that running back room a little bit more. You saw what happened last year when they got gashed uh, <laughs> with injuries. And I don't know. I I feel like if I was them with how important the rushing attack is to maybe bring in a little bit more there. I don't know. I think they're just they're betting. <laughs> yeah. They're they're betting on their guys to come back from the ACLs. Both J.K. Mm-hmm. Dobbins and Gus the Bus Edwards there. Bring in Mike Davis. They also have Justice Hill, who they drafted in the fourth round a couple years ago. So, yeah. Mike Davis, the Ravens sign. I'll just jump down to that deal real quick. <clears throat> One year, $1.2 million. Uh, former Falcons, Panthers running back. The Giants... Talked about this before, but they officially released corner James Bradbury. Uh, $10.1 in savings, $11.7 million in dead cap. Uh, will be significantly less of a dead hit if they put it as a post-2019 
June 1 um, release. But, uh, yeah, obviously, I mean, I'd have to think, I don't have, I don't know what the uh, free agent landscape looks like, but I would have to think James Bradbury is probably the number one free agent available now. Mm-hmm. Yep. <clears throat> and I feel like, it, it feel like it's past the point where, you know, he's in line for like a multi-year deal. Mm-hmm. Um, it's probably going to be a one-year um semi prove it but he is definitely in terms of a talent um perspective i think probably the best free agent out there yeah and he's gonna have to play in a zone scheme that's what he's best at is playing cover three zone um like he did in carolina and like he did in new york but um i know i have seen it mentioned just take a little drive (laughs) down to pennsylvania and uh, head to Philadelphia, I think that'd be a perfect fit if he's willing to take the little amount of money that the Eagles have available now with all their moves that they did this offseason. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that would be a good fit. Yeah. And, I mean, he has familiarity with the division. It's not um, anything new to see somebody jump to a division rival. So, Yeah. I mean, the Giants have uh, have seen it done themselves when uh, they – or no, was that – never mind. I'm thinking of Lynn and Collins, but did he – he didn't play in New York, did he? Yeah, yeah, he did. Did he? Did he, yeah, would, yep. did he, he, would, he jumped from the Giants to Washington? Yep. Yep. That's what I thought. I was second guessing myself. I don't know. <laughs> it's hard because he's he's been jumping around from safety to like linebacker. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> and he's with the Bears and Packers and whatnot, but uh the Chiefs. Originally, right after the draft, they uh had to get some cap space, so they released center Austin Ryder. He is now back. With Kansas City, they re-signed him this week. Uh, All right, so free agents, free agent deals here. These first two were the ones that surprised me, kind of just because of the money that they got uh, at this point in the offseason. So the Texans signed two Bills pass rushers, uh, defensive ends Jerry Hughes, and Mario Addison Hughes got a two-year, ten million dollar deal, and uh, Mario Addison got a two-year, seven point seven million dollar deal. So one thing is weird that we see, you know, multi-year deals. And two, uh, five million. I mean, granted, when you break it down into the yearly, it's not as bad. But the the just seeing ten million at this point in the season. <laughs> Off-season for Jerry Hughes. Yeah. And, I mean, the other weird thing is, it's like, it, the Texans got to know that they're just, like, not in a position to compete in the AFC. Like, they just flat out aren't yet. So, I don't know. I, I just don't like spending. And, again, I mean, it's not breaking the bank necessarily, but multi-year deals um upwards of seven million 
yeah, I don't know. It, it's one of the, you mentioned the Falcons. I, it's another one where you, the Texans are another team where you just, it's hard to figure out the vision. And maybe what they're doing is they want to, to give them the benefit of the doubt, maybe they want to build as decent of a defense as they can to evaluate Davis Mills with, because I feel like, Building a good defense for young quarterbacks doesn't get talked about enough um, in how that can help their development. Because if you're always starting, you know, pinned near your own end zone, you're just not going to have a lot of success. Um, But, yeah, I I don't know. I feel like at at this point you want to just draft and develop, hold on to the money until you can see more clearly where you're going as a franchise. See, I think I'm on the opposite end. I thought I think the Texans showed what they were doing this offseason with the hiring of Lovey Smith. They drafted players that they know will fit in his defense and are the type of players that he wants. And I think offensively they tried to build as much around Davis Mills as they could without spending a lot of money and without trading uh, away, you know, premium picks to get veteran players like we saw with Devontae Adams, A.J. Brown, etc. Tyreek Hill. So. Yeah. But even then, I just... Like, Lovey Smith got fired from Illinois. <laughs> like, he... I just don't know if he's... He's a the better NFL head coach. He's a better NFL. Yeah, I don't. He took the Bears. To, he took Rex Grossman to a Super Bowl. I mean, come on. That was a long time ago, though, man. It's a couple, yeah. I don't know. But he knows how I to just, coach defense. He, yeah. Brian Erlacher, Lance Briggs, I mean Charles Tillman. I mean, obviously they had some outstanding players on that Chicago defense, but. Uh, I, I think Texans defense will be very much better. I don't remember who he hired as OC. I think they kept their OC. Uh, yeah, it's Pep Hamilton. Yeah. So, you know, keeping continuity within the offense, I think Davis Mills. Again, I, I've i been on the Davis Mills train since he was drafted last year, and I'm going to continue. I, I think the Texans are going to surprise a lot of people, man. They are – I already love their over wins. I don't remember what it's set at. I think it's only set at like five and a half or something like that. I love that number. I think they'll win six, seven, eight games this year. I definitely think they got better. I just – like I said, I don't think that they're in a position to like spend these contracts. Well, I think I think Nick Casario structured they they probably structured the deals where it's only a one year deal essentially. Right. Uh another this was probably the biggest signing so far post draft. These Saints got a massive boost their wide receiver room. They signed Jarvis Landry, former Browns Dolphins wide receiver. One year six million dollar deal. That's all it took. Uh, but he took the home ca- hometown discount, played at LSU. He's from New Orleans. Um, him and Tyron Matthew both going back home. Um, yeah. 
yeah, it's helping Jameis Winston out. And uh, they got a pretty good threesome there now. Mm-hmm. Michael Thomas, yeah. Chris Olave. Yeah, they have, they have a really Travis good uh, <laughs> wide receiver uh, wide receiver room actually. Even uh, Marquez Callaway, I think. As your, I, I think last year they asked him to be in more of a bigger role than he's capable at right now. But I think with the additions they made this offseason, I think him as like a wide receiver four is perfect. Resigned Traquan Smith as well. Mm-hmm. We'll see. We'll see. We'll have to see if Jameis comes back well from his knee mm-hmm. or not. But uh, the Chargers. You you already said this uh, last show we had, uh, but we got the numbers on the deal. Signed, uh, charter signed Patriots linebacker Kyle Van Noy, one year, two and a quarter million dollars. Uh, played over 70% of the snaps for Patriots last year. So, mm-hmm. gonna be a contributor for Brandon Staley. Yep. Uh, this move was weird. I, the Dolphins running backs, I don't know what, <laughs> there's another position group in the, in the league. I just, what are you doing? The Dolphins signed Rams running back Sony Michelle, a one-year, yeah. one, one and three-quarter million. I, what are they? How many running backs do you need, bro? Like, <laughs> what are they gonna yeah. do? Run the, run the freaking wishbone? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I joked on Twitter. It was like Thanos collecting the Infinity Stones. It was like Mike McDaniel collecting fringe veteran wide respect fringe veteran running backs right so espn only goes four deep on their depth chart but chase edmonds raheem mostert sony michelle miles gaskin three of those four acquired this offseason yep (laughs) and last year they drafted kid out of cincinnati garrett dokes right yeah well and they they uh Did they, were they the team that drafted Jerome Ford this year too? No, I don't think so. I think Ford went somewhere else. Could be wrong. They also have Salvin Ahmed. And yeah, like you said, <laughs> that's the other guy. Garrett yep. Dukes, and they uh, they signed Zaquandre White as an undrafted free agent. Out of South Carolina, Zamir White's brother. Um, so yeah, I have, and I mean they also, they also signed Alec Ingold in free agency. So it's like, bro, what? I guess they're gonna run. I mean, obviously with Mike McDaniel, they're gonna run the Kyle Shanahan mm-hmm. play action. But I guess that I mean that's what they did in San Francisco, anyways. They right. just had like three or four backs, and they just rotated. Right. It was uh, they basically cobbled together a RB one through a committee. Right. You know they had a really successful rushing attack, but it was spread out. So I mean, it is definitely a Shanahan move, but it feels like overkill. <laughs> yeah, it's fantasy hell. <laughs> oh yeah. 
do not touch any of these guys. Well, you can do that. Or you can do what my uh, my good brother Nick Russo likes to do with Patriots running backs. Uh, he'll draft both of the top two guys, and you start them both. <laughs> Handcuff it. But it's like you would need like three handcuffs for this. Yeah. You'd need you'd need Edmonds, Mostert, and probably Michelle to do that. <laughs> Start all three of them. <laughs> right, yeah. RB1, RB2, and your flex. All Dolphins running backs every week. Okay, uh, the Raiders. So they traded away Brian Cole. They got another receiver. <laughs> they signed former Jags and Jets. Wide receiver Keelan Cole, one year, one point two seven million. Uh, yeah, Keelan Cole severely disappointed in New York, but um, I think still has some game. I liked him when he was in Jacksonville; was was playing well there. Just did not get it done in New York. He was buried a little bit on the depth chart too when he went to the Jets. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a good depth signing. Yeah. Uh, the Raider, uh, the Bears, the Bears got a new quarterback. Uh, they signed Raiders quarterback Nathan Peterman to a one-year deal. Uh, so he slots in behind Justin Fields, and who do they sign? Do they still have Foles? Nope. They release Foles. They signed Trevor Simeon. That's right. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So Nathan Peterman, third quarterback behind Fields and Simeon. Uh, Bears also got another wide receiver, uh, which the Bears were in that bottom three or five that needed receivers this all season. Didn't do much either. Uh, they signed. Former Titans and Falcons wide receiver Tajay Sharp to a one-year deal. So their wide receivers now look like Darnell Mooney. Darnell Mooney is your wide receiver one. (laughs) And you're asking a lot for him to break out, right? And I mean, I think he has the potential to do it. I like Darnell Mooney. He's on my dynasty squad, but... But that was was what he had Allen Robinson to take all the coverage away. (laughs) Uh, So you got Darnell Mooney. Byron Pringle, who they signed from Kansas City. They drafted Velas, Velas Jones in the, the third round, I think. We'll talk about him more, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Drafted him in the third round. Uh, you got Equinemia St. Brown coming over from the Packers. Daz Newsome. Who they drafted in the sixth round last year. Yep. And Tajay Sharp. They also uh, they also signed Dante Pettis, former Niners and Giants wide receiver Dante Pettis, to a one-year deal as well. So he is there. You got David Moore, uh, journeyman <laughs> David Moore. I don't even know who he last played for. He's been he's been around. Uh, Seahawks, I think. Uh, he was in Carolina. Did he go back to Seattle? I 
Oh, no, he was with the uh, Broncos. He was with the Packers and the Broncos last year. And the Seahawks. But he was on the Packers and Broncos practice squad, I think. Masimba Webster, Isaiah Coulter. Those are the guys I know. But uh, It's bad. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll get into more of the the bears in the you know the draft recap from mm-hmm. a draft perspective but the way they've built this roster around justin fields is just not it's asking a lot for him to make a big leap in year two um i honestly think we'll come away from this season thinking like wow he did a decent job for what he had to work with but again you don't want that to be the takeaway you want to be like okay we think this guy could be the franchise guy um so yeah Ugh. uh the raiders they signed rams and broncos linebacker kenny young helped them out in the middle there i feel like the raiders sign a linebacker every single offseason because they they literally they cannot get the linebacker spot right it's yep. just they can't it's evergreen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Colts, they signed Packers offensive tackle Dennis Kelly. So there is the signing that we were looking for, possibly. <laughs> it's not what Chris wanted. Yeah. <laughs> Chris's guy, Eric Fisher, still out there. Uh, but, yeah, the Colts did get a potential starter at left tackle there um, with Dennis Kelly. So... I think that's that's gonna have to be their guy, uh, at this point, anyways. Right, unless they do something else, but yeah, because who was their uh, right? Right, Braden Smith is not gonna move from right tackle. He is good there. So, uh, and why? Why did it? Okay, I don't know why. ESPN's depth chart still has Matt Pryor as the starting left tackle. That's not going to happen. Matt Pryor is a guard. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I think it's going to be you're going to see a battle. Dennis Kelly versus Bernard Ryman in training camp. Uh, we'll see if the rookie get it done or not. The... Uh, Falcons, I already said that. They signed Geronimo Allison from the Lions. Um, Then just one visit to take note of. The Jets hosted one of the big-name remaining free agents, uh, Bengals defensive tackle Larry Ogunjobi, for a visit. They actually had him visit twice. So we'll see if he signs and gets to help out Robert Sala's defense. Mm Mm-hmm. Packers use Larry Ogunjobi? <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, I, I'd rather just roll and see see what the rook, the rook Devontae Wyatt can do, who we're going to talk about in a sec. Yeah. So let's uh, get into that because I don't think I have anything new on Twitter. So, yeah. So the NSC North draft. Once again, we have a full screen of first round and uh, – one second round draft pick. Uh, the Bears' first pick was 39th overall. But Aiden Hutchinson, number two overall. Uh, I don't know why he was the only one that 
when I searched him with lions attached at the end, it didn't come up with his draft card like this. <clears throat> so all the other ones did, but I don't know. So I got that nice animated picture of him. <laughs> uh, lions, their second first rounder, Jameson Williams traded up with the Vikings to get him at number 12. Um, Packers, two firsts, Quay Walker, linebacker out of Georgia, 22. Devontae Wyatt, defense tackle out of Georgia, 28th. Uh, Vikings also went to Georgia. Lewis Seen, safety, 32nd overall, last pick of the first. And then the Bears' first pick of the draft, second round, 39th overall, corner out of Washington, Kyler Gordon. So, starting off with Detroit, like I said, their two first-round picks, Hutchinson and Williams. Uh, second round, they went edge uh, again with uh, Joshua Pascal out of Kentucky, 46th overall. Uh, third round, safety Kirby Joseph out of Illinois, number 97. Uh, didn't have a fourth rounder or fifth round. They went uh, to get some depth at tight end. Jace, uh, James Mitchell, Virginia Tech, number 177. Sixth, they had two picks. Linebacker Malcolm Rodriguez, Oklahoma State, number 188. And edge rusher James Houston out of Jackson State, number 217. That is uh, Dion's first draft pick, I believe. Um, yep. as head coach of Jackson State. And then their last pick in the seventh corner, Chase Lucas, Arizona State, number 237 overall. The Lions were weird. I don't know. It was... I, really? Yeah. I, don't, I mean, I love Aiden Hutchinson. Love that one. We kind of talked about this before, but the... Jameson Williams thing on a non-competitive roster. I I liked, like I said before, I liked what they said they were doing. Where they're drafting best available and they'll get a quarterback next year. But again, the issue is, what if you're not high enough to get a quarterback next year? Yeah. You do still have two picks because you still have the Rams pick. But the Rams are a playoff team. More than likely, it's going to be in the 20s uh, where that other pick is. So that's the issue with that. And they just went all defense except for Williams and a backup tight end in James Mitchell. So I love Malcolm Rodriguez, though. I think that is the the late-round steal that they got. Great player out of Oklahoma State. I was kind of surprised that he was a linebacker because it might just been have been me, but whenever I remembered Malcolm Rodriguez at Oklahoma State, I always remembered him rushing the passer. So I don't know. Yeah. He's a pretty versatile dude. I think he has a lot of special teams upside too. So. <laughs> but yeah, your thoughts on the Lions. Yeah. So I actually I loved the Lions draft. Actually, I uh, I tweeted out I I as a Packers fan, I am more worried about what the Lions could be in a couple of years than what the Bears could be or what the Vikings uh, the Vikings currently are. Um, I think they're building this team 
the right way. And I think that the trade-up for Jamison Williams, I wouldn't have liked, kind of like you said, because they aren't competitive right now. You kind of want to just stay there and hold Pat. But I thought the compensation, like, was good. They traded up from 32 to 12 and from 66 to 46, and they only had to give up um, pick 32, right? Or 32 uh, and 32. 32, 34, and I believe, yeah, I think that might have been it. I think they gave up, <clears throat> I don't remember if they originally had three second rounders. They had they had 32 34. and 34. So they gave up 34. I it, it To me, it was fair for, I think, what they got in Jamison Williams. And I think it's a perfect fit because, like you said, they aren't competitive right now. They can bring him along slowly, let him fully heal. Um, they, they don't feel pressure to throw him in right away, like maybe a compete now team would be. And I think, I mean, we could be looking back at this and saying the Lions got the two best players at their respective positions in the draft. I think that if Jamison Williams never tears his ACL, I think he's probably wide receiver one. Mm -hmm. Um, Speed kills in the NFL. Everyone's trying to get it. Um, And I think if Henry Ruggs goes first in a draft class that had CeeDee Lamb, Jerry Judy, Justin Jefferson, you... I think Jamison Williams could have easily been wide receiver one in this class. So I love that. Joshua Pascal is interesting, um, but I think he can also be a decent fit because he's a bigger dude. Um, So he can play some interior for you too, um, which is good. And then Kirby Joseph, I I liked out of Illinois. He's a ball hawking uh, safety. And for me, this defense is pretty improved you look at the guys they added at dt last year in levi on and aleem mcneil that d line is going to be pretty formidable um at least it looks so on paper um their wide receiver room a lot of good young guys with williams uh amara st brown and dj chark um their safety positions are locked up um, really, to me, I mean, the only glaring things they need, obviously they have a really good O-line, um, are kind of quarterback. They could probably use another cornerback and then mm-hmm. inside linebacker. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I think we talked about this on the last pod. I probably would have liked them to use one of their picks on a quarterback, um, especially with guys like Malik Willis, um, Matt Corral, Desmond Ritter, like all on the board at, at some of those later round um, picks. Um, because while Jared Goff is the QB, I'm not afraid of the Lions, right? Um, but I do think that that aside, I feel like the, this roster is being built in a very good way. Um, and, I, and I wouldn't be surprised, honestly, if the Lions were pretty successful last year or next year, this year. Um, at least I I definitely do not see them picking at second again yeah I agree with the quarterback Uh, thing especially 
with their fifth rounder. Sam Howell went in the fifth round. Yeah. I I definitely would have liked to replace James Mitchell with Sam Howell. Uh, so, especially, I mean, ESPN has James Mitchell as the fourth tight end right now, not even making the roster, you know. Mm. Granted, I don't know. He might. He's got Brock Wright and Garrett Griffin to battle with behind Hawk. But I don't know. I don't know who's going to win those battles. I mean, that's pretty terrible <laughs> depth right. behind Hawk. But uh, actually, Brock, Wright, Brock Wright's been, been pretty good for them. He's, he's kind of a guy that no one knows about. But, yeah, lines are okay. They're just... I don't think they're, like, anything special at this point. Uh, yeah, I think I, I think I agree, though. I think corner is definitely the biggest biggest issue of need, which was weird that they didn't address that because they can't they, – they already – they knew that was their biggest need. Uh, they didn't do anything to address that this offseason at all. Uh, they didn't even sign anyone in free agency either. Um, they're just going to roll with the same guys they have. Um, yep. Hoping Okuda comes back from his injury. Well, right. uh, actually, they did sign Mike Hughes. So that was one guy. But Mike Hughes has so far been a bust as a first-round pick with the Vikings. Yeah. Uh, well, I think he, the he, had that, is, he had that legal issue. but Yeah. I think the hope is, is that Okuda comes back and he is that Dude that you spent that number three overall pick on, mm-hmm. which, I mean, that might be a big swing and a miss, but, yeah, I mean, you spent that much capital on him, that premium position. Um, you got to at least hopefully he just comes back healthy. Yeah, and I really, I mean, I think this is, this is make or break. I mean, he's, he's heading into year three. Yeah. And so far... His, um, okay, never mind. I thought they were classmates, but never mind. Uh, the guy they drafted the year before him, Amani Aruwarie, who they only had to spend a fifth-round pick on, has outshined him, partly because Amani's been on the field. <laughs> right. Um, so, yeah, that that's a big deal for them, I Maybe maybe uh Dan Campbell will just say, All right, the hell with it. We're gonna run three safeties instead of <laughs> five corners out there. <laughs> but uh yeah. I just there I feel like the Lions are gonna be right in the middle or around the middle in every yeah. category, offensively and defensively. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. Now, heading on to your Packers. Quay Walker, 22. Devontae Wyatt, 28. Second round. Wide receiver Christian Watson, North Dakota State, number 34. Third round, guard Sean Ryan out of UCLA, number 92. Fourth, uh, two picks, wide receiver Romeo Dobbs, Nevada, 132. And offensive tackle Zach Tom out of Wake Forest, number 140. 
Fifth round, edge rusher Kingsley Anigbare from South Carolina, number 179. Didn't have a sixth round pick. And then uh, four seventh round selections. Uh, safety Tariq Carpenter out of Georgia Tech, number 228. D-tackled defen- uh, Jonathan Ford out of Miami, number 234. Offensive tackle Rashid Walker out of Penn State, number 249. And uh, wide receiver Samori Ture, Nebraska, number 258. So go ahead, Packers fan. <laughs> So it was this draft was really interesting and it always is for Packers fans, right? And I feel like <laughs> it depended on which day of the draft if you asked me how I felt about it. <laughs> um, you know, after day one there was some worry. <laughs> um it was interesting because in a lot of ways they seem to break tenant uh tendencies. Um they have not valued off-ball linebacker in the draft and they had just paid DeAndre uh, Devondre Campbell so a lot of people just had them not taking linebacker at all completely so that was surprising when they took Quay Walker um, Devontae Wyatt is somebody who I loved for the Packers in the pre-draft process because I think he completely and as a three-tech or a um, three-four D-end um, but a lot of people had him completely off the Packers boards because he's 24 and the Packers typically do not draft, um, older players. So that was interesting. Um, looking back on it, I, I do really like it. Uh, I love on paper what this defense could be. Um, you have two guys in the middle of the defense who can be, really good quay walker is a hyper athlete um put up insane numbers uh insane testing numbers as did Devonte white um he kind of quietly put up an outstanding combine because i mean jordan davis is as big as a house and he ran a four seven so he got kind of overshadowed um quite literally because jordan davis is six six <laughs> but um Devonte white is really good really good um, interior pass rusher and probably the best interior pass rusher um, in in the draft. Um, and the way I put it is for years, Packers fans have been clamoring for inside linebacker help. <laughs> like we've had to, we've had to live through Blake Martinez, Jake Ryan, just, just not having just rolling out there with undrafted free agents and sixth round picks at the inside linebacker spot. Now we have a hyper athlete and an all pro caliber guy in Devondre Campbell. Packers fans have also been clamoring for help for Kenny Clark on the interior because guys like Dean Lowry and Tyler Lancaster are seeing (laughs) a lot more snaps than they probably should. Well, they just got Devontae Wyatt, who's one of the best interior pass rushers in the class. So after day one, there was still some trepidation, however, because wide receiver is still a complete question mark. Well, then they move up to get Christian Watson, who was expensive. It was an expensive trade. Um, they gave up 59 um, to move up from 53. And But 
I love Christian Watson. I was in the camp um, that he was a first round caliber talent, mm-hmm. put up a historic combine at the wide receiver position. He has all the physical tools you want. Um, and I think the Packers track record for developing guys with physical tools means that he's landed kind of in a perfect situation. So I loved that pick. And then I loved the day three. Pretty much every selection, as they were coming off the board, I was like, man, <laughs> Brian Kutenkust is in his bag on day three. Um, love Dubs. Um, I think he can be he can carve up a role pretty quickly. Um, I love Zach Tom. Zach Tom is a classic Packers pick, mid-round guy, athletic, who can play multiple spots, who's going to be a backup, but he can plug and play when there's injuries that come up. Um, love Sean Ryan, the Sean Ryan pick. Again, another guy who can play guard, maybe some swing tackle for you. Kingsley and Egg I'm not sure how he got to the fifth round. And when I saw his name come off the board for us, I had assumed he was already gone. Um, so I was super stoked about that. I mean, he's he's been one of the most productive pass rushers in the SEC over the last, like, two seasons. And now his testing numbers weren't great. But, you know, at that point, is if you can get a guy who is that productive in the best conference in college football, I mean, you take that 10 times out of 10. So I loved that. The other signings, I don't know how. I mean, Tariq Carpenter will probably make the the roster because outside of Savage and Amos, there's not a whole lot of depth at safety. Um, I don't know about Jonathan Ford. Rasheed Walker will probably make it, although he'll compete with some of the other guys they drafted last year, Cole Van Lannan, Jake Hansen. Um, for kind of those those last few spots as backup alignment. Um, Samari Torrey will be interesting. Um, potentially, if they bring in, if they don't bring in any more outside free agents and they want to roll with seven wide receivers on the roster, I could see him making the roster and then playing kind of a special teams role. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, I mean, as a whole, I, I loved the draft. And I think that it did make the team better, um, help plug some holes. And I'm excited to see how it's going to look um, for the Packers going into next season. Yeah, I really liked their top five picks. Um, definitely needed someone beside Devondre Campbell. Got that in Quay Walker. Same thing beside Kenny Clark on the nose. Uh, interesting, they don't have Devontae Wyatt starting right now. They have uh, Jaron Reed in front of him. Um, but, yeah, Christian Watson, I mean, that was a get um, at 34. He's going to – he has the potential to be a number one big time. Yeah. Um, and Sean, Sean Ryan – I don't know how you feel about Royce Newman, but but I wouldn't be surprised if Sean Ryan can beat out Royce Newman for the right guard spot. Yeah. <laughs> and they like Newman. I do know that. Newman played well last year, but I think it's good when you have competition there, right? And you can roll with multiple guys. 
Yeah, the thing that I was kind of shocked about early on was that they didn't go premium at the tackle position. I know mm-hmm. you said you think Ryan could possibly play some tackle if he needed to, but I thought it would have been a better move to draft a tackle, a, a, pr- a true tackle, um, and then slide Elkton Jenkins back inside where I think he is better um, as a guard than at right tackle. But uh, my guy, though, my guy is Romeo Dobbs. I absolutely love Romeo Dobbs. Um, Going to be buried a little bit to start. Um, I think you'll see next year where Watkins and Cobb won't be there next year. Um, so you're going to end up with Christian Watson, Alan Lazard, Amari Rodgers, and Romeo Dobbs as your four in whatever order you want. Um yep. But yeah, I think I think Romeo Dobbs was a massive get in the fourth. Six two two hundred, big jump ball guy. I mean, that's that's all he was at for Carson yeah. Strong in Nevada. Well, and all he did was produce. I yeah. mean, that dude, he had a he had a twenty reception game. Yeah, I remember <laughs> watching. It. I was like, "You're kidding!" Like, I thought it was a typo when I saw like the video come up on my YouTube like feed, and I watched. It, I was like, "You're kidding." Yeah, and I mean, we thought he was you know, productive with Carson Strong against uh, Mountain West defenses. I mean, right. he's got one of the best quarterbacks thrown in the ball. Yeah, the best, so. <laughs> um, yeah absolutely. That was that was my my steal for the Packers. Um, I also loved Rasheed Walker. Now, this is not me just being Penn State biased. Uh, Rashid Walker, I was shocked that he went all the way in the seventh round. I thought he was in the conversation for day two, um, mm-hmm. tackle-wise. I don't really know why he dropped all the way to the seventh round. But, yeah, I thought that was a, a big get. And a guy that, like you said, could possibly make the roster as the swing. I think he could be the swing tackle because... I have no clue who any of these other people are behind Bakhtiari and Elkton Jenkins at tackle right now. Uh, you know Cole Van Lannon mentioned him, but the other guys that they're showing at tackle, Yash Nijman. Yash Nijman. Yeah, yep. there you go. Jameer Johnson and Caleb Jones. <laughs> So, I actually do know that they do actually like Yash Nyman and that he did play okay in spots last year with Bakhtiari out. He actually did fairly well. So, I think that's kind of why they didn't go more pure tackles um, with some of these alignment. Um, and I think that it does probably signal that Elton Jenkins is going to move to right tackle. Yeah. Yeah, but but I li- I like really liked that they got three three linemen. They needed that depth. I think there's still major question marks when it comes to defense, though. I mean, you mentioned about getting guys around Kenny Clark. 
There is not much. I mean, drafting Jonathan Ford if he makes the roster. Again, I don't know much about the guy, the other guys that are listed behind Lowry, Clark, and Reed and Wyatt. Uh, I've heard of TJ Slayton and Jack Heflin. Hawati Pututu-Tau. Pututau. And Akiel Byers. Mm. Uh, those are the other guys. Same thing can be said for the... Uh, for the edge. Um... Behind Preston Smith, Gary, and Enigbare, you got Tipa Galliai, Randy Ramsey, Jonathan Garvin, Ladarius Hamilton, and Chauncey Manic. Chauncey Manic, I didn't realize they signed him. Um, undrafted free agent. That's a that's a nice get. That's a that is a great undrafted signing. He was a beast at Louisiana for the Raging Cajuns. Uh, Love him there. But otherwise, you know, the inside linebacker, too. I mean, Ty Summers and Chris Barnes. It's interesting. They, they uh, on the depth chart on ESPN, anyways, they transitioned Tariq Carpenter to linebacker, mm-hmm. which leaves what you said about the safeties. That's, that's barren. Yeah. <laughs> Adrian Amos and Savage. Uh, Vernon Scott and Sean Davis are the two, the only two guys listed at the safety position behind those starters. Yep. So, yeah, I, I, I thought that they they probably should have went more a couple more defensive backs, uh, in the later rounds. But yeah, I mean that's why it was so interesting with the Quay Walker pick because a lot of people, at least a lot of the the beat. Packers beat writers that that I follow were very high on guys like Daxon Hill and Lewis Seen and thought that the Packers would also be high on those guys um, because last year we did play a lot of three safety um, sets. Um, but I think what the Quay Walker pick and Brian Gutenkus said as much um, in, in his um, – post-draft presser is it's going to allow them to play more of their base defense, which is two, two linebackers, two safeties. Um, so I think it'll change what the defense looks like a little bit. Um, Tariq Carpenter, I think can play both. Um, I think he can play safety and linebacker. He's kind of a box safety. I think, um, obviously you'd like to have a little bit more depth there. Um, but I don't know. Yeah, they did also get a, another nice flyer. Going back to my Penn State boys uh, at the linebacker position, they signed Ellis Brooks as an undrafted free agent as well. Mm-hmm. So I like him, obviously. But uh, yeah, I think the defense, they better not get injured, the starters. Yeah. Because it is not pretty behind what they have. Starting eleven, uh, offensively, I think they're fine. Depth, all positions should be fine. Depth on offense, just a lot of stuff on defense to worry about in terms of if you get injured. 
And I don't know about Samori Ture making the roster because um, he's going to have to make it as an actual receiver because unless they change it. But uh, Amari Rodgers is the returner right now. So unless they switch that to Ture, I don't know how he would make the roster. Yeah, they so they tried to kind of cram Amari Rodgers into that role last year. Um, and it didn't really work out great. <laughs> so, but on the other hand, Dubs and Watson also have return experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so it'll be interesting. I do think if Tory cracks the roster, it is as a special teamer. If it's not, then I don't think he cracks it. Um, but I don't know. We'll see. I thought it was a decent flyer in the late rounds. He was pretty pretty good for uh, nebraska yeah just like the lions i would have liked to see that pick switched with a corner <laughs> mm. possibly weirdly enough the packers have three kickers on the depth chart right now crosby jj molson and dominic eberly great so you couldn't use two of those spots to right. add Defensive depth. I see. I see. Dude, gotta gotta have the kicking competition. Well, Crosby was absolutely terrible yeah, last year. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, on to Minnesota. So, scene going thirty-two. Uh, second round corner Andrew Booth Jr. out of Clemson, number forty-two. Guard Ed Ingram, LSU, number fifty-nine. Uh, third round linebacker Brian Asamoah. Oklahoma, number 66. Fourth corner, a Caleb Evans, Missouri, number 118. Fifth edge rusher, Asesi Otumuo out of Minnesota, number 165. Also in the fifth, running back Ty Chandler of North Carolina, number 169. Sixth rounder, they had two. Offensive tackle, Vidarian Lowe, Illinois, number 184. And wide receiver, Jalen Naylor, Michigan State, number 191. And rounding it out in the seventh, tight end Nick Muse, South Carolina, number 227. I think the Vikings did well. Top three picks, loved them all three. Um, they massively needed secondary help, with uh, especially with Harrison Smith getting long in the tooth right now. 33, I think he will turn this year. Uh... He is 33. He already turned 33. Okay. So, yeah. Uh, Harrison Smith, 33. Uh, they needed a second safety anyways. Lewis seen slots right in there. Andrew Booth's going to help them, especially Patrick Peterson again. Old guy in his 30s already. Uh, needed it regardless of whether Patrick Peterson was there. <laughs> the Ed Ingram thing I was kind of iffy on, though, because... I mean, I feel like the Vikings have drafted offensive linemen pretty high in the last couple of drafts, and they haven't got it right. Specifically on the inside, they have their two tackles and their center. They just haven't been able to find consistent guard play. Um, The rest of it, I think, is so-so in terms of day three. Uh, Asamoa, yeah. It's whatever. Um... But the other guys I wasn't that high on. Jalen Naylor was a beast at Michigan State. 
just don't know how he really cracks the the roster. Um, maybe as wide receiver six, possibly. Um, don't know too much about Lowe or uh, Otomuo, <clears throat> Caleb Evans. Ty Chandler, it was another another running back just – I feel like there's a big surplus in running backs right now because there were a lot of teams that drafted running backs where I was like, why? Why do you need to right. draft a running back? You already have like three or four right. <laughs> that are pretty solid. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, I don't I don't know if Ty Taylor will even make it or not because they drafted Kenny Nwangu last year and he's their returner. So, right. Yeah, I. Uh... I thought it was a good draft for the Vikings. Um, You know, when I look at their offseason, I think their defense should be very much improved from where it was last year. Um, Obviously, they needed some secondary help, um, and they got that with their first two picks. Uh, But, I mean, when I'm dealing with – when I'm thinking about how I'm evaluating kind of my division rival – draft classes i kind of think about all right like what scares me like what none of this really scares me a whole lot Mm -hmm. especially as long as kirk cousins is the quarterback i think he can only take you so far i mean he's he's better than obviously jared goff is in detroit but he's i i just don't think they can overcome his limitations and we've kind of been talking about how where we might like have liked to see these teams go in a different direction. Um, as much as I like Brian Asamoah, and I think it was a good pick because he can eventually be the starter whenever their two inside linebackers age out, I would have liked to see a quarterback in 66. Um, at that point, pretty much all QB2s were on the board. Um, and at that point, round three, it's I don't know I, I think it's a good spot to just take a swing on one of these guys. All these guys had upside. They also obviously came with risks. But I mean, it, if you swing and miss in round three, you're only losing a third round pick, and you could potentially gaining an upgrade over Kirk Cousins. So, it would have been- like I said, I think they got better. I just again I I don't know. It would have been funny to draft the quarterback at sixty six again because that would have been two years in a row that they would have drafted a quarterback at 66, uh, drafting Kellen Mond at that exact draft slot last year. Uh, Yeah, I I still think they are trying to develop Kellen Mond. And that could be it. Like, maybe they like what they have in him. Um, But I mean, from what I saw in the preseason last year, and he got a little bit of regular season work too, I think. It was absolutely terrible. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I mean, I'm surprised he's listed as the second quarterback right now uh, mm-hmm. over Sean Mannion. But, <clears throat> yeah, I agree that. I mean, there's, I mean, how many starters did they get? One. At least that's what. ESPN list is they only got one starter out of this draft class, which was Lewis Seen. I think that if Booth is healthy, I think he'll he'll crack the uh, the starting lineup. Um, but yeah, it's 
I don't know. Yeah, the, the Vikings are in the same boat as the Packers at safety. There is not much there behind mm. the, t- the top two. Um, and, yeah, Osamo, I was kind of disappointed, though, because they have my guy Troy Dye at linebacker, the Vikings do, that I love. Drafted out of Oregon last year. Uh, but he is now in a third string, at least that's what they put him at. I didn't realize that they are switching to a 3-4 this year uh, with the new head coach. So I'm interested to see what, how that affects the Neil Hunter. Because mm-hmm. I don't think he's played in a 3-4 before. Yeah. And the other thing is, is that both of their edges right now, Zadarius Smith, Neil Hunter, very good, talented players. Both of them are injury prone. Mm-hmm. And I feel bad for DJ Wonham because I, I, I don't feel like DJ Wonham can can play an outside linebacker spot. And why did my phone just lose service? I don't know. Just, it just dropped out of nowhere. Just absolutely no service. How does that happen? I just thought I can't search anything. Cool. Uh, <laughs> luckily, I have my Microsoft Word app that I can still see the script. Otherwise, you'd be running the show. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yeah, I think that's I think that's good on the Packers or the the uh, the Vikings. I mean, we didn't get your. Uh, I guess we'll wait till the end for your grades, like we did on the last show. But um, moving on to the Bears, didn't have a first round pick because of the Justin Fields trade, um, but they came back second round. Corner Kyler Gordon, Washington, number 39. Safety Jaquan Brisker, Penn State, number 48. Third round, wide receiver Valus Jones Jr., Tennessee, number 71. Uh, Didn't have a fourth rounder, but they had a boatload of fifth through seventh round picks. Uh, Fifth round offensive tackle Braxton Jones, Southern Utah, number 168. Edge rusher Dominique Robinson, uh, Miami, Ohio, number 174. Sixth round, guard Zach Thomas, San Diego State, number 186. Running back Treston Ebner, Baylor, number 203. Center Doug Kramer out of Illinois, number uh, one or 207. And then the seventh, they had three picks. Guard uh, Jatiri Carter out of Southern, number 226. Defensive back Elijah Hicks out of Cal, number 254, and Ponner Trenton Gill, NC State, number 255. Go ahead. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because the Bears definitely did need some help in the secondary, and they got two really good players. I really like Jaquan, Jaquan Brisker. I think he automatically comes comes in and is the leader at that safety spot. Um, I like Kyler Gordon, but when you're when you're doing a draft and you're building rush, you have to have kind of a big a plan in mind. And in today's NFL, when you have a young quarterback, that plan in mind needs to be. So 
surrounding him with as much talent as possible to maximize his evaluation window, to evaluate him in the best possible situation. That plan has not been even remotely close to the Bears' plan this offseason. They got a defensive-minded head coach. They brought in defensive free agents. And with their two top picks in the draft, (laughs) they took defensive backs. And we ran through their wide receiver room earlier. It's it's just not – it's probably the worst in the NFL. Like, if on paper, if you put it up against all the other teams – and, again, I like Darnell Mooney. I think he can mm-hmm. be good. And he has chemistry with Fields. But there's a lot of question marks. There's a lot of question marks on that O-line. Um, and I understand they drafted four O-linemen in the later rounds, but that's a crapshoot when you get there. Um, those could be some good depth pieces, but I, I don't know if those guys could crack the starting lineup if they need to, and they might need them to. Um, so you're looking at a situation for Justin Fields where of all the second-year quarterbacks, he is easily in the worst situation. Um, so I just, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't get the vision. Um, and I don't know. <laughs> Pray for Justin Fields. Yeah. it. The, the vision, I think, for the Bears, at least for this season, is we're going to play defense and we're going to run the ball. And hopefully, hopefully we don't turn into the Pittsburgh Maulers. <laughs> because man, that was a great callback <laughs> to the beginning of the episode. That is uh, essentially what I look at this roster and how it's shaped. I think that's it's how they're going to have to play. They don't really have options, and. I don't know what's going to happen. Like, what happens if they start? Oh, and five, and Justin Fields is playing like crap. Right. You don't. You can't bench him. I mean, that would be just a severe strike to a, a second-year player's psyche. Um. So, I mean, I do like the fact that they have a, a veteran guy in Trevor Simeon there that will be more than willing to help him. I think. Uh, unlike Marcus Mariota is to. Uh, or Ryan Tannehill, I mean. Mar- Ryan yeah. Tannehill is to uh, Malik <laughs> yep. Willis. But, yep. um, yeah, I think they're going to run the one-two punch with Dave Montgomery and Khalil Herbert. Their offensive line, I think, is is pretty good um, in terms of the starters. I think the weak point is right tackle with Larry Borum, who's a second-year guy, fifth round last year out of Missouri. But um, in terms of the draft, though, loved their top three. Uh, Gordon, Brisker, and Jones. Uh, Jones, I thought, was sneaky. Had a pretty good season at Tennessee. Was dealing with some inconsistent quarterback play, which he'll probably get again with Chicago. Um, But, yeah, I I don't know why Justin Fields had to run around so much last year. Again, like I said, I I think the line's pretty fine. Um, granted, they did sign Lucas Patrick this offseason from Green Bay. So that was one addition anyways. And 
Dakota Dozier, uh, did he come from Minnesota? Yeah. I think so, yep. I couldn't remember if he was still there last year. So, yeah, they got him from the Vikings. So there's two additions. But in terms of the draft, like I said, the top three, you were right. Brister is going to slide in right beside Eddie Jackson. Gordon, I wouldn't be surprised. He should be starting. Why he is not on the depth chart, I don't know. Duke Shelley is starting right now. (laughs) Um, So, whatever. Uh, But, yeah, Valus Jones, he'll start right away, whether that's at the second wide receiver spot or the third one. Uh, And then when you look at their day three picks, I think Dominique Robinson has potential. Guy that switched from wide receiver to defensive end. (laughs) But he's massive, I think, right? Uh, Yeah, 6'4", 252. So he's going to be a nice piece behind Robert Quinn um, and Al-Kadeen Muhammad. And then you look at uh, a return guy with Treston Ebner. Electric returner. Now, the issue with Ebner is that they already have a bunch of return guys in Chicago. I mean, they have they have it listed anyways. Daz Newsom, Nasimba Webster, Valus Jones at punt return. Uh, kick return, they have Khalil Herbert, Byron Pringle, Valus Jones. But, I mean, they have other guys too. You know, Dante Pettis, returner. Uh, who... There was other guys. I thought. I don't know. Maybe maybe I was thinking about some different people, but yeah. I mean, they already have return guys there, uh, and they also signed Darrington Evans in the off season from Tennessee. So they already have three running backs. It'll be tough, I think, for Ebner to make the roster. Um, and then you got uh, Doug Kramer. Doug Kramer's my my draft gem from the Bears. I think that was a nice pick in the sixth round. Um, Illinois center. He's listed in the third string right now. But um, I think at the very least, he well, he won't make it at center, I don't think. He'll have to slide to guard. But there's definitely competition there at the backup guard spots uh, because I have no clue who Dieter Iselin and Willie Wright are. So I think Kramer can make it as a backup interior guy there. And then, of course, the punter. Trenton Gill, NC State. Don't know too much about him, but uh, he will battle with Ryan Winslow. For the punting spot. Yeah. It was whatever. <laughs> it was really the top three guys. And then, like I said, I liked a couple of the guys uh, in the later rounds. But um, before we wrap it up here, your four grades for the NFC North. Yeah, I'm I am going to... I'm going to give the Lions an A+. 
I I did really like it. Uh, and I think, you know, we talked about, you know, probably would have liked to see a quarterback slide in there somewhere. But I think that they did. They've This roster is pretty solid on paper, and I liked their top four picks. Um, so, like that, the Packers, I'm going to give a B plus. I'm very optimistic about this draft. This is probably the best, the closest draft to where the fans liked it as well. <laughs> it's usually <laughs> there's usually some hurt feelings after the draft between Packers fandom and the front office, but very optimistic about this draft. I think a B plus grade. Um, the Vikings, uh, I'll give it, I'll give it a B plus. We talked about what I liked to see a quarterback maybe in there just to see maybe what that guy can develop into. Um, but I do think they helped upgrade their defense. And I think that as long as they're healthy, their defense should be well, uh, much more improved next season. And I think that will help them to be competitive, uh, especially in kind of a, a weaker division. Um, the Bears, the Bears, I'm going to give a C. Um, you know, I, I liked it on paper. I liked the first two picks. Valus Jones, I liked him as a as a prospect. You kind of talked about him, but he's 25, and there's some questions about whether his ceiling is really there or if he's kind of capped mm-hmm. out. And he was taken much higher than I think what the consensus was on him. Um, I think that a lot of teams kind of saw him as kind of a punt returner, gadget kind of guy, and. I think you got to do more for Justin Fields um, at that position when you're trying to put him in a good situation. So I think that um, that was all right. Um, you know, I, I like Kyler Gordner, Jaquan Brisker, but when you are in the situation where you have to develop a young quarterback, I, I think the vision should have been different. I did like that they then doubled down on the line um, to see, you know, throw as many darts as possible to see if that can stick and you can put together an O-line that is at least decent um, for Justin Fields. So I did like that. Um, But again, I would have liked to see their vision go a different direction. So I'll give it a C. All right. Next week, so before we actually finish here, I'm going to give a quick rundown just in case we don't have a Friday show. It's still unconfirmed yet. I got to see what if we, if, you know, we're, we're going to get faster on our Friday setups. So we should eventually start to have Friday shows again. But if we don't this week, um, the week six USFL slate, two games Saturday, two games Sunday. Um, so we have Tampa, three and two Tampa, the Bandits uh, against the two and three Stars. Philadelphia Stars, um, and you know, you know me. I'm a Tampa guy. I'm rolling with the Bandits. <clears throat> I think their defense is good enough. They're giving up 19.8 points per game. They're only scoring 16.8. But again, that score was a little bit skewed by a couple of their games that they've had. <clears throat> um, you know, they only scored 10 against the Stallions. And they only scored three against the Breakers. So those two games really killed their scoring average. But um, 
I like where they're at, and I think their defense can win them the game. Case Cookus has not been Brian Scott, so I think there's opportunities to get turnovers off of Cookus. And I think Ta'amu, while he hasn't been lighting it up like I thought he would, I think he's done enough. Uh, I just would like to see Todd Haley get some more of the run game going, which um, is definitely a, a possibility against Philly. Philly defensively is giving up 193 rushing yards per game. Um, <clears throat> so I think Tampa should be able to run the ball <laughs> pretty effectively against uh, the Stars' defense. And they're giving up 25 points per game, so I think there's opportunity there. Tampa's two-and-a-half point favorites. The over-under is 39-and-a-half in that game. That one's at uh, 1 p.m. on Saturday on NBC. The second game also on NBC on Saturday. Pretty good one, I think. It's uh, the 1-4 Panthers against the undefeated 5-0 hometown Birmingham Stallions. And I'm going to pick the Stallions again. I mean, I hate picking them because I don't... I highly doubt they go 10-0. Uh, but there's a potential... I. And I think they go 6-0 at least. Um, we've talked about Michigan. Michigan, they don't have the offense. I mean, Shea Patterson has been terrible. He had a nice game last week, but it's not. It's, it hasn't been enough. He's turning the ball over. Um, one thing Michigan has been able to do is run the ball. They're the number two rushing team in the league, 169.2 per game. And the other thing they've been able to do is stop people. Their defense, like I said, has been fantastic. 16 points allowed per game. They're giving up just over 100 yards rushing, and their passing defense is very good, 144.4 point uh, passing yards per game allowed. So uh, Birmingham is, is good defensively as well. They're not far off on all three of those categories. So I just – don't know how this game's going to play out, whether it's going to be the Birmingham offense, who I think is the number one offense in the league at 25.8 points per game, or is it going to be the Michigan defense at allowing 16 points per game? I don't know. My pick is Birmingham because they've been on a roll, and uh, whether it's Jamar Smith or Alex Magoo at quarterback, I don't think it really matters. Um, the team is feeding off the energy because their games are always the ones that get the most crowd because they are the home team. So yeah, six and zero for Birmingham in my book. Got to keep going with it until they prove you're wrong. Uh, and they are six and a half point favorites. Uh, over under is 37 and a half. 730 on NBC. Sunday games, <clears throat> we have one and four Maulers coming off their first win of the season against the three and two Breakers. Um, and I'm rolling with New Orleans. Uh, actually, when you look at the uh, Fox Sports app and you look at the uh, game preview and you click on it, <laughs> New Orleans wins in all, all categories. <laughs> um, Pittsburgh's offense. Now, they are kind of in the same boat as Tampa, where it's been like a couple games they put up 
barely anything. Uh, only put up three in week one, zero in week three. So those two games really skewed their scoring average. But it is their average. So they are averaging 12 points per game on offense. 12. Um, under 100 rush yards per game. They're allowing about what uh, New Orleans puts up per game, 22. And, um, yeah, I think the passing attack, Kyle Sloter should have another nice day. 414 yards last week. Um, you know, I'm not going to predict that kind of day again, but Pittsburgh's defense giving up 172 passing yards per game, 22 points per game, 119 on the ground. I think they'll be able to get it done offensively for the breakers. And I, even though I think Pittsburgh's defense is good, I just think the new Orleans offense is going to be, they're going to slowly break them down. And by the fourth quarter, it's going to be too much for them. And, um, that's where you'll see new Orleans win by more than one score. Even though I don't have the exact numbers, but I think there's only been about four games so far in the USFL that have not been one score games. Um, That's what I was going to say earlier. I think it, they've done a good job of having these games competitive, even though there are teams that are like one in four and are like struggling <laughs> like Pittsburgh is. A lot of these games have been decided by like one possession. Yeah. And I hate taking all the favorites every week, but it's like, <laughs> especially this weekend, it's, Aside from the Tampa-Philly game, all the other three games have good records against one in four teams. <laughs> um, if you want to count New Orleans at three and two as a good record. I mean, they are the second team in the South right now. So, uh, But that one is Sunday. Uh, New Orleans is a seven-point favorite. 35-and-a-half is the over-under. And uh, 12 p.m. on FS1. Last game of week six, the one and four gamblers uh, against the four and one generals. And the only category Houston gets Jersey in is points per game, and they get them by two tenths of a point. Uh, so, yeah, it's going to be tough, I, especially with the uncertainty of Clayton Thorson's hand. I don't really know how that's going to play out. I think you go with the sure thing in New Jersey and their ground attack, which is putting up 180.2 rushing yards per game. Um, and their defense, uh, 16 points allowed per game. They're kind of like uh, Michigan, except they have a 4-1 and one record instead of 1-4. and four. Um, And, I mean, Jersey's rushing offense is good. Their rushing defense is even better. 76.6 rushing yards allowed per game. Yep. So, yeah, I think they're going to control the trenches and um, maybe Kenzie Bahar gets the start for Houston. And maybe that's the wild card that allows Houston to win, but I do not see it happening. Uh, that one, another bigger point spread. Uh, Jersey is also a seven-point favorite. Um, 37 and a half is the over under 4 p.m. on 
Fox. So recap of my picks. Going all the favorites. Bandits, Stallions, Breakers, and Generals. Uh, but if we do have a Friday show, we'll kind of rehash those and see if we hear anything new about uh, injury updates, especially, like I said, Clayton Thorson there with the Gamblers. Uh, but, yeah, we'll be back um, at the very least next Monday. I will be in Nashville. Um, te- technically Brentwood, but I will be in Tennessee. Uh, <laughs> NCAA NFL News. And our next show, whether that be Friday or Monday, we will be doing the AFC East draft recap. So hopefully Chris will be here to talk about his Jets at number four overall, their first pick anyways. Um, But, yeah, should be a good time. I know uh, next show also we will have our – your Packer fan brethren – We'll be here talking AFC East with us Friday or Monday. Uh, Danny Potter, hope be back on the show. So, Love it. Uh, yeah, that is the show for today, though. <clears throat> Thank y'all for watching. Don't forget to follow us on all our social media at FAA Podcast on Instagram and Twitter. FAAPodcast.com is our website. You can check us out here on YouTube, Facebook, uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Uh, iHeartRadio, etc. Thank y'all, and we will see you back on either Monday or Friday. Peace.